How many people from Eunice up in the house? Come on, I want to hear Eunice. How about Jennings and the other most, uttermost parts? Come on now. All right. Well, we're just so glad that everybody's here tonight. And this is, you know, I, I just want to say, did y'all have fun watching Josh and Zach? I told Mark he needs to bring them on the road. But, you know, tonight, uh, I'm not going to be long, but we're so excited to have Mark and Melissa here because they're part of our family. They actually go to our, our Lafayette campus there with Pastor Jacob, who's my, actually my pastor. And I'm so excited that we're going to have a, a, a couple that actually has the perfect marriage to come teach all of us imperfect people how to have the perfect marriage. There's no pressure on them at all because they're perfect. And so they're going to tell us everything that we need to do because they never had to deal with it. So, you, yes, but you know what? We're so glad to have, come on, let's give it up for Mark and Melissa tonight as they come and just share with us. Come on, get, let, come on, I like it. Let's give them a... What an introduction. What's nice to see uh, so many unfamiliar faces. Uh, I was, we were driving here, and I was, I was talking to Melissa, and we actually talked in the car a little bit. And I said, guys, it's just we've never been here before. I just didn't understand why you'd never been here before. So we're still thankful that we've been invited, Pastor uh, Bubba and Tracy, to invite us here to be with you guys tonight. And uh, I didn't realize Pastor Bubba was a liar until <laughs> just now. Yeah, yeah, well, now I know for sure uh, that he's not a perfect person. But he told me that before he said all that. We're going to uh, share with you guys tonight uh, about us a little bit. My wife's going to really give this an introduction. But um, just thank you all. Thank you all for ha- having us here tonight. And, uh, and we do have a few people we do know here tonight. So thanks for being here to support us, and your prayers are very welcomed. Melissa's going to tell you a little bit about our, our family in an introduction. Well, um, we don't have the perfect marriage. We've been married for uh, 12 years. Last, sun- uh, last Sunday was mm-hmm. 12 years. And we've been happily married for seven, six. Well, if you ask me, it's about eight. I didn't realize those two years, though. I wasn't aware. Right. So um, we've been happily married for a six or seven years. So we, um, we're a blended family, and that's all of us. There's uh, seven of us total, and um, just a little bit about our background. We, um, we have a 19-year-old that doesn't calculate right. We've been married 12 years and have a 19-year-old. So I was in a previous marriage. I was married before um, in a six-year abusive marriage and had two children in that marriage and then met Mark, and this is where it gets real pretty because you know, you have a lot of baggage in six years of yuck. And so you got a lot of trash bags you're carrying around with you. And Mark was a 30-year-old bachelor when I met him. And that's got a lot of baggage in and of itself. <laughs> and then we just started playing house and brought all our trash bags and put them in the middle of the living room. And um, it was lots of fun. And that, that would be, you know, six years of hell that we lived through. It's and the first six that were bad, by the way, just so y'all get that. The last six is the, the good stuff she's talking about. So, but um, in, in relationship and in trying to begin to do life, we, um, 
started, that's our baby, her name's Evan, and she's five. We started to uh, destroy each other and ended up in counseling and then in the orange chairs at our Savior's Church. And yeah. Pastor Jackie got a hold of us and um, shook it all out of us, I guess. So, so yeah. we've been a work in progress. And um, actually last weekend, that's our oldest, her name's Cameron. She voted this year for the first time. Um, and this is Elena, and she's our oldest together, and she's 10. She's Mark's mini-me. And she's our middle well. one is Rye Grace. And I, I don't know if y'all saw our son, but yeah, there he is. That's Bo. And my two older children consider Mark their daddy. So God has really blended our family in a, just a, a very sweet way. Um, in fact, when Cameron was on homecoming court, Mark is the one who walked her down the, uh, on the, the field. That's who she wanted to be with her. So um, Pastor Jacob used this analogy last weekend. I thought, oh, that's so perfect. He talked about, um, he was asking all the guys if anybody had ever bought a diamond. And he said how um, when you're buying a diamond, the jewelers, what do they put it on? They put it on black velvet. And the purpose of that is to really um, show the splendor of the diamond. It really shines on that black velvet. And I thought, isn't that how most of our marriages look, look and work? Because God can take the ugliest, the yuckiest parts of our marriages, and when he finally finishes working some of that stuff out, we really start to shine like those diamonds. And that's really, really, Mark and I's marriage is very much a testimony of what God can do in the miracle of taking two people who were a total mess, heathens, lost, um, and really just work a miracle. And so we've had the privilege of working together for the last seven years at what we finally call the kitchen table, which is our counseling uh, practice. And I have the, um, the pleasure of leading women's groups and helping women to find freedom and healing as Mark does counseling and some of that as well. And you saw our children, so that's us. So before we get into the, my portion of uh, tonight, uh, my first portion, we're going to give you some additional marriage tips from some real experts. So if we can show the video on that. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve. And I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something that I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That, that's sorry. our faux pas. Yes, that. We've got some killer marriage tips we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance, Finish your wife's sentences for her. Yeah. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, Allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. 
When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents. But putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> you know, guys, uh, those are kind of horrible tips. Okay. I guess she didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, <laughs> I guess we're at an impasse then. Yeah. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and send this thing off with some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this, and it's kind of, like, weird. Give him a hand. All right, so as you can tell, we want to have some fun tonight and tomorrow. Uh, Melissa did tell us that, you know, our beginning of our marriage was really rough. But the first earliest part of our marriage wasn't. What I'm going to talk about tonight in my, my first session here tonight uh, is three stages every romantic relationship tends to go through. And it usually lasts somewhere between six months. And you guys have a, you got your flyer, you got your uh, brochure you can probably follow along. What I'm going to cover tonight, my first part, is the three stages, the three stages most relationships tend to go through. All right. Now, look, I want to just preface what we're saying right now is that, is that intellectual information, as you guys write stuff down, it definitely helps, okay? We want to make sure that we get uh, good information and we can apply it. And that, that application makes transformation occur for us. I really believe that healing is the thing God's doing lately. And it's, for, I know from Melissa and I, the first 12 years that we've been around, it, there's been a lot of information given. And the Word of God has been um, strong and, and we've experienced a lot of uh, information. But so many of us know a lot of the Word, but we just still find ourselves doing a lot of the same things. So... This weekend is going to uh, be beyond just information. Okay, so I just want to preface that before we go into this. So three points. The three first stage is the romantic stage. So like I said, the first part of our relationship, the first 
three to six months was blissful. That first stage is called the romantic stage. In the romantic stage, you tend to be blindly in love with the person that you're with. Researchers have told us that in that stage, we're actually crazy. That, that, that as they've done research and scanned brains of people who are in love, and things like judgment was absent. Doesn't surprise you, does it? Judgment is absent. Critical thinking diminishes. And they, they, literally, you do not see the negative traits in the person you're in love with, even though everybody around you is talking about them. <laughs> your mom, your sister, your uncle, your aunt, they're all seeing things that you don't see, and you really don't see them. And so for those of you who have people in your life who are in love with somebody right now, and you see the potential damage coming, they are temporarily insane. Okay? So that lasts about six months to 12 months, six, 16 months, something like that. Sometimes it can go on for a long time. But it, for us, it was very brief. It was. Children will do that too. And, well, two kids and all that, you know. The second stage is disillusionment. Disillusionment is when the blinders begin to fade, your brain starts to actually work the right way, you begin to see things everybody else sees. But you become disillusioned. Most of the time when we're at this stage, we break up. God has a trick that he plays on us, however. And the trick is usually the, the romantic stage lasts long enough for us to be committed either in marriage or we get pregnant. Some of us, we've got pregnant out of wedlock. Okay, and some of that happened with whether you were romantically involved or not. Okay, some of that happened too. But at that stage is when we begin to realize our spouse isn't God. For Melissa and I, when we were dating, when we were in that early stage of a relationship, and there was romance, and there was interest, and there was a lot of heat, and there was a lot of excitement. And when we hit the wall of reality, it was like God woke both of us up. We had been hurting each other deeply, in addition to having been hurt already. And began to be open to the possibility that God was there. That God was something real for us. At the time when we were dating, we had no relationship with God whatsoever. We had put our faith in a better life, in the potential of a future spouse that would basically fulfill all of my needs. And many of us in that romantic stage believe that if we would just find the right person, all of my problems would be solved. And you'll see this in people that you know who go to relationship to relationship to relationship and they're chasing that. They're chasing to be fulfilled, finally fulfilled completely in a way that they know that they're missing something and they believe that the right person will complete them. That's Hollywood. That's a fantasy. That's Disney World. It's a part of the truth, but it's not the whole picture. So as we see these negatives, and we begin to recognize our own negatives as well. So as, I, as Melissa and I are, are dating, I begin to realize that there's something wrong with me. We went to a life design uh, class once, and she, as she and I were walking through this situation, and 
working through our issues. We went to the seminar, and the seminar was about how to get your life together. It's called Life Design. And in that program, they had us line up in a long line. We'd been together for a couple of weeks now on weekends. And they started to know, we had to start to know each other. Now, in, the, in that class, I had come to sort of observe. I was a counselor, I have a degree, and I was interested in one day facilitating a group like this. So I'm observing, and uh, I'm thinking I'm all that. You know, like I'm a counselor, I'm observing. And I sort of distanced myself from participating in the group. And I th- really thought that I was a charismatic, likable guy. And in this experiment, they had about 17 people. And the task was to go and stand in, the person, in front of the person you liked the least. That was the assignment. And so we all standing, and we couldn't say anything other than go stand in front of the person you liked the least. And one at a time... Most of the people started to stand in front of me, including her. The disillusionment was a gift from God. It showed me that what I thought of myself wasn't real. And it began to open my eyes to my brokenness, my emptiness, and my need for God, which led me to stage three. And in stage three, I began to realize I needed to have a committed relationship with God if I was going to have a committed relationship with a woman. And so it turned my focus off of my spouse becoming God for me because without God we worship something, right? If God is in your life, and I don't know where you are tonight, but for me, when God wasn't in my life, I worshiped me, I worshiped women, I worshiped success, I worshiped the next thing. So what we want to share um, next is just how do you get from disillusionment to commitment? Um, a lot of us are married, but we're still in that stage of disillusionment possibly. And so we want to um, just share a little bit about that. And the first point about that is to realize that it's not a mistake that you're with your spouse. What we find is that um, we tend to be attracted to what's familiar. So you know how they always say that we marry our mom and dad? You married your father, you married your mother. Well, it's kind of true because as, you know, little girls, little boys, we love our parents the most at first, and they are what's most familiar. They are what's comfortable. Um, They're what we know. Even if it's dysfunctional and unhealthy, it's what we know, and it's what we are most comfortable being in, even though that's not what we think we want. So a lot of us left our home saying, I'm never going to be like that, and I'm never going to marry someone like that, and then I turned around and I did. And it's because of that, because we're attracted to what's familiar and comfortable. And that's not a mistake, because God's going to work that out. That's his design. Another uh, thing about realizing your spouse is not a mistake is also just to recognize that we are attracted to our spouses to finish the unfinished business in us. So those broken places, the things that have happened to us, it's Actually, in the boundaries class that I teach, it's called repetition compulsion. We continue to repeat the same patterns with people, trying to heal something that's broken in us. And so God designs marriage that we're attracted to people who may not be um, real healthy for us at first, but it's his design to work that out of us and to get us healthy and healed. 
So we keep looking to our spouses to resolve the conflicts from our past when really it's God that's going to do that. But our spouses are not a mistake. They just help us to see what the problems are. So, guys, marriages don't fix problems. They just expose them. Before I met Melissa, I was a single bachelor, she talked about, 30 years, clueless. There's nothing worse than, than a guy. In fact, the studies show this, that, that there's nothing worse for a mortality rate for a man is to remain single his whole life. Studies show that it's pretty much equivalent to smoking two packs of cigarette a day, cigarettes a day. It's true. So when I was with Melissa, it began to expose things, and God wanted to expose those things. Because to leave me in that state, that fallen state, wasn't it going to be good for me? It was going to leave me empty, a mess, and continue to damage myself along the way. So we want to realize the purpose of marriage. There are lots of reasons, okay? God is an, is an infinite God, and there are lots of different angles that you can take with this. And I know Pastor Bubba has been going through a lot over the last couple of weeks. But the number one thing I want to talk about is that it's to change you. Now, as a counselor, I hear this very often, and this is, this is what I hear about change. It's that guys get married hoping their wives will never change. Right? Guys get married hoping their wives will never change, okay? When you were dating, she would let you go hunting when you wanted. <laughs> she would go hunting with you. She acted like she wanted to go hunting. Ladies, if you like hunting, I'm not talking to you. And guys, she was thinking the whole time, if I marry him, I can change him. If only I get a ring, once I get that, I'll change him. And it's you in that romantic stage bargaining with yourself and thinking you can change. Because guess what? Women can change things. They can change their clothes. They change their commitments. But they think they can change us. And we don't. Us guys resist change. We don't want anybody changing us because like I was, I thought I was just fine the way I was. I'm good. How about you? Right? Now, the other thing I I learned about this, I think about this, is also about Adam and Eve in the the garden. We're going to talk about differences in a little while. And change requires us to become different. But we tend to attack differences instead of embrace them. And our differences, there's some good things, some bad things, but we need to be open to changing. Now, when I was growing up, like Melissa talked about, my parents loved me. Imperfectly, but they loved me. What they taught me was a broken form of love. And when I say a broken form of love, my parents, as imperfect as they were, loved me. And I learned to love that way. So the second point I want to talk about is not only that Marriage, one, God wants to use my wife to change me, to expose things to, that need to be changed, that I also need to be aware that I need to learn how to love differently. I'll hear people come to counseling and they'll say, well, I'm just, this, this is how I am. They're believers. They believe in the Word of God. They are dedicated to Jesus, but they still have thinking. Romans 12, 2 says to renew our minds and the truth, to re- be transformed. It, it, there is a change happening in all of us. That we, also, we need to participate and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to allow that change to occur in our lives. 
So purpose of marriage, as we're describing, is to change you, to change me. Say, to change me. Now, it's easy to say change you, right? It's about changing me. To teach me how to love. Marriage is a big selfishness killer. I was 30, a bachelor. I had no idea how to take care of anybody other than myself. Sound familiar? And my mom, I just, a lot of guys are like this too. Our mothers took too good a care of us. They taught us how to be attracted to mothers, not wives. And, and part three, realize the purpose of marriage. It's not about you. It's about, to, it's about realizing who God is for yourself and then sharing that with the world. Okay, so let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, which I didn't give you guys. But 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. I don't think I did. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Through us. God's making his appeal to our neighbors, to our family and friends. There's nothing worse than a bad marriage representing God. There's nothing worse than a bad marriage representing God. But there's nothing more incredible than a great marriage representing God. And so it's fitting that God would say in his word in Ephesians, he talks about the marriage between a husband and wife reflecting that relationship between Christ and his church. And so we are ambassadors, and we're to represent Christ and his church and his relationship. And the only way that's going to happen is if I submit to change. I realize the purpose of marriage is to learn how to love. I didn't know how to love from my family that I grew up with. And to then be able to demonstrate what God's love really looks like. So just to remind you, we're talking about how to get from disillusionment to commitment. And so just to refresh your memory, the first thing that we talked about is to realize that your spouse is not a mistake. The second thing is that to realize the purpose of marriage. And then the third thing is that to realize that God made your spouse the way they are for a reason, which is kind of the same as the first point, but just to take it a step further. Um, you know those people in your life that are a little abrasive? They just kind of rub on you, and they're scratchy, and um, they're uncomfortable. Well, I call those my sandpaper friends, and they're necessary. They're very necessary. I don't like them. I wish that God didn't make them, but they're necessary. And your spouse is probably your biggest sandpaper friend. And his role, her role, is to refine you. It's to round out the rough edges. That's what sandpaper does. It gets rid of it. It makes something very pretty and soft and smooth and beautiful. And so we need sandpaper in our lives, and our spouses are that. Because, you know, I was laughing the other day. I was telling uh, some of the girls in the boundaries class I'm teaching right now that, um, you know, the world gets the best of us, but our spouses get the worst, and they really should get both. They should get the best and the worst. They see the ugliest parts of us. I mean, we just kind of let it all hang out at home, okay? And that's the stuff that God's trying to sandpaper off of you, and he uses your spouse in that way to refine you. They also fill in the gaps for your weaknesses. God made your spouse to fill in the gaps. Where, you're, where you lack, your spouse, they got it going on, right? And where um, they have it going on, maybe or vice versa, whatever that is. Um, but whatever you bring to the table, they probably lack in and vice versa. And so it's a really um, a sweet thing that God does that he gives us someone who compliments us, who fi- finishes the work that completes us in such a way. 
And I said this already, they bring out the worst and the best in us. And it's just that whole thing. You know, God's uh, whole purpose for marriage is that, for our lives, is that we look more like Christ. In the end, every trial, everything that we walk through is that we would look more like Jesus. And so your marriage is one of the biggest tools God uses in your life to make you look more like Christ. Because it's about responding the right way. It's about accepting each other, unconditional love. There's so many things that we learn in marriage that we don't learn in any other relationship on earth. Um, you know, you can you learn a lot in your Christian walk as a single person, but there's something that happens that, you know, we this happens all the time. People are good. They're really good. And then they get into a relationship and they realize they're a mess. And it's because they didn't have somebody quite close enough to see, to rub on them, to be that sandpaper. And that starts working that stuff out of you that maybe you didn't even know was there. And that's God's design for marriage is that, and a lot of times people get in that disillusioned state and they feel like they're with the wrong person and this is just not good anymore. And really that's just God's design. He's just working it out of you because at the end of the day, at the end of that season, you look a little bit more like Jesus. So as we look at going from disillusionment to commitment, there needs to be uh, a greater degree of understanding. Uh, so we're going to go into uh, the next part about gender differences. God says in Genesis 1:27, God made the male and female, and he made them in his own image. It's interesting to, to, to notice in Genesis, after the fall, Adam and Eve, the first thing that they covered was what? It was the thing that, go ahead. It was the thing that made them different. The first thing they covered was what looked different about the two of them. It's the first thing they covered. And when they covered each other, what we believe and what we're talking about tonight is that we began to be making each other wrong, criticizing the parts of us that were different, the parts of us that we no longer understood. And I can imagine that Adam and Eve must have known each other in such a way that there was no conflict. In fact, it says that they, didn't, they weren't even aware that they were naked. They weren't aware that the differences made a difference of, that created any kind of conflict in their relationship. Does that make sense to you guys? So we want to do tonight, and that we are different. And now society wants to tell us that we're all the same. And you'll hear stories about, you know, some kid, you know, California or Utah or wherever, and, you know, he's got mom, dad, and they're wanting to, you know, let him choose how he wants to dress. Let him choose what he wants to play with. And these aggressive kids, you know, these boys or, 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 or these feminine girls are being told that they can be gen somehow gender neutral. So, I don't know if you guys have any boys. Raise your hand if you've got boys. They're different than girls. That's for sure. Now, they might be, some kids are artistic. And sometimes our differences aren't a, a black and white thing. So, sometimes you may act in a certain way that might be considered feminine. But it might not really be that you're a girl. You just like art, as an example. Does that make sense? So, there are stereotypes we're going to talk about and differences here. So, and also in 1 Peter 3, 7... It says, husbands must treat wives with respect and equal heirs of God's gift of new life. 
So we're different, but we have the same birthrights. I might be able to do more push-ups than Melissa, but that's about the only... So what does that mean? Well, it must be some purpose, right? There must be some purpose for that. So also what we'll do is we'll make not only each other wrong for being different, we'll have competitions about which is better, Okay? Like, because I'm this way, I'm better. And because you're this way, you're better. And then we, now we have competition in our species between men and women. It also leads to conflict. So one of the number of things I, number one things I do in marriage is, is help people bridge the gap of understanding. So let's take a, a look at some of the common differences you be, uh, the common differences in your relationship, gender differences that you might be making each other wrong for. And we want to have a little fun with y'all, so we have a few analogies to use just to help you see the difference between men and women. And uh, just to remind you that we are stereotyping, so you may not be as much this way as you are the other way. And what's very interesting about that is that when I'm not quite all this way like all the other girls are, my husband kind of picks up the part that I'm not. So we tend to... um, uh, balance each other out, um, even though these are very much stereotypes, we do tend to balance each other out when, and the example we're going to give, like multitasking, single tasking, um, the husband may be more of a multitasker if the wife is more of a single tasker. So we just kind of balance each other out when it doesn't quite work in the stereotype. So the first thing we wanted, I wanted to tell you is women, and we talk about brains, women are more like a ball of wire. Okay, Just get that picture in your mind. A ball of wire, a ball of yarn, some twine. You see that? It's kind of a mess, isn't it? Sorry. It's kind of a mess. It's kind of just all over the place, isn't it? And that's kind of how women's brains are. Um, Not literally. I mean, they, they look real nice and neat. But just the picture of how we think. Everything's attached to everything else. Everything means something, and we remember everything, right? And we can bring it up in the argument, the next argument that we're going to have with you. We can remember everything from the 12 years we've been with you, and then we bring in all the other stuff that wasn't about you and bring that into the argument too. Yeah, that's how she can remember. It was like, you know, six years it was bad, and I think it was eight years was good, and that whole thing. And women need to talk about everything. And one of the reasons that we do remember so much is because memories are attached to emotions, and we are emotional. And everything we do has an emotion attached to it. That's why our memories are so good. Because when you take something, an event, and you burn to it a mem- uh, an emotion, you remember it. And so that's why it's this crazy, electric, just going all over the place experience that you may have with us sometimes, especially on those um, weeks of the month when things are a little bit more escalated and exciting inside of our bodies. That ball of wire is just electric, right? So while men, while women tend to be like a, a, a ball of wire full of electricity and emotion, men tend to be more like boxes. We're like boxes. And, and the thing about boxes is that, you know, you put stuff in one box and you label it and it's just the stuff that's in that box gets in the box. So, you know, if you just finished up Christmas, you put Christmas tree stuff in the Christmas tree box, right? And so for us... We've got a box for our kids. We've got a box for our money. We've got a box with uh, sex, you know. We've got a box for this. We've got a box for that. 
We might have a box for your mother-in-law, you know, back in the garage. And the thing about those boxes is the rule is none of the boxes touch. It can't touch. The other thing about men's brains is, okay, is they were not emotional. Now, I, I happen to be uh, like so unemotional sometimes. You, you could give me a Christmas gift, be the best gift ever, and you could think you gave me a box of rocks because like, I don't know how to react because it's like there's nothing there. It's like, aren't you excited? And like, I know I'm supposed to be, but nothing's showing up. I'm like thinking about what's to eat. <laughs> So men's brains are like boxes. The rule is nothing touches. And the thing, ladies, is you need to know a secret about us guys. There's a box you don't know about, but you've seen us in it. And we call it the nothing box. And I have to tell you, it's our favorite box. When a man gets a chance, his number one goal in life is to try to get back to that nothing box. And the thing about the ladies is they want to visit us in that box. <laughs> and we don't want to visit anybody in the box. In fact, we're not even in the box. There's nothing in the box. And the funny thing is that research has shown this to be true. They have studied men while watching TV and like 70% of their brain is shut off. <clears throat> and the men in the house said, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> to do absolutely nothing. So this is an interesting concept. So what ends up happening is my wife will see me in the nothing box. And there's nothing that upsets a woman more than seeing a man doing nothing. <laughs> in the nothing box. Right? Now see, since I can be in the nothing box, I assume she must also need a nothing box. And so she comes home from this day at whatever, because I don't even remember, right? Because I don't really care. <laughs> like, what's, what's the name of our kids again? Because i got to write it down. Tell me I don't remember. She'll come home, have a rough day, see me hanging out, know I had a rough day, and she thinks I need to talk about it. I want to be in the nothing box. So one of our favorite boxes is the nothing box. The other one is called a cave. The cave is where it's cold, there's nothing going on, and we feel like we're pretty much numb to the world. That's what we like to do. But So what we want to understand is, I think she has a nothing box. She thinks I'm a ball of wire. She thinks I need to talk it out. I think she needs to shut up <laughs> and leave me alone, leave me in my nothing box. So what makes us fight is we think they must be just like us. We forget our differences, and then we make each other wrong for them. And then because we interpret their behavior and think, well, they should do this, but they're doing this, we get offended. Why doesn't he tell me? What's he holding from me? He's keeping secrets. And I'm thinking, why can't she just be quiet? Why does she have to talk so much? And now, granted, this is coming from a counselor who listens for a living, okay? Now, when you get paid for, it's different, right? See, I'm in the get paid box, and it makes me listen pretty good. So another thing about women is that we tend to be multitaskers. 
And I mean, just think about your day. You get home from work, it's five o'clock, and she can cook dinner, change a diaper, move the laundry, paint her toenails, talk on the phone, um, deal with some kid screaming in the back, put a kid in timeout, and plan lunches for the next day, all before six o'clock, and have dinner on the table. Amen. How about that? Amen. I am woman, right? Hear me roar. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're in the nothing box. Amen. <laughs> so we're really good at multitasking. Women are multitaskers. Mamas, uh, I mean, we can do it all. We really can. And we're very good at it. Most of us are very, very good at it. And we expect them to do the same thing. So she multitasks, therefore she thinks I should multitask. And so, but men are different. And as we'll discuss, God made women emotional. God made men emotional, but we're emotional differently. God made women multitaskers, more or less. Now again, remember, we're doing we're doing generalizations, okay? So there are some men who are multitaskers. There are. There's some women who aren't. There are those cases. So please just know that we know that. But as a single tasker, for the guys, guys designed it. What it does for us and you ladies, as providers, we excel in our professions. See, so guys have this ability to focus on one thing and do it so well, we'll even outperform traditional women's industries. So some of the best fashion designers, Tommy Hilfiger, he's a guy. Some of the best chefs, guys. Even some of the most talented medical professionals that are in female-dominated areas, guys. Why? Because there's something that God's made about guys that makes us single-taskers, that we're able to focus on that one thing and excel. It makes us great at providers. The other thing that research bears out to, to, to prove to this uh, to be true is, and I don't know if you guys uh, experienced this, but if I'm in the car and I've got, as you saw, you saw that car with all those people in it? Dude, I'm in my nothing box all the way to Orlando. Okay. Why? Well, because I'm driving. When I'm driving, and we've talked about traveling as we get older, you know, we thought it would be great. And the more we talk about it, the more she realizes She's going to have to be on the phone talking to her friends because while I'm driving, I'm in the driving box. <laughs> and while I'm in the driving box, I literally can't hear her. Like, I can hear words. <laughs> like, I, I, my kids are in the back there. There's some noise back there. And they're saying, I see their lips moving. I know they're saying something. I keep looking. I mean, I'm looking and I just... I gotta be driving. I'm driving. I cannot I really. So research shows us that when men read, when men read, and some men don't, some men do. A few guys read, but when men are reading or doing things that take all their attention, they're partially deaf. They've studied this. So, ladies, it's not that your husband is ignoring you when he's focusing on something. Okay. Sometimes it's the TV. I get that. Well, when he's focusing on some task, it's got his attention. He really can't hear you. He's not ignoring you. He's not blowing you off. And then when you come up to him and you assume that, and then you give him the third degree with that look like they were talking about, he's like, what? 
wrongly accused, and then they get some upset, right? So all you got to do is get his attention between, you know, commercial breaks. <laughs> all right? You know? Get his attention, give him some time to reboot his listen-to-you part of his brain. Okay? Might take a few seconds, you know, so that he can listen. Listen, men will pay attention. We just need the transition time. Get us over to the listening box. Okay? Make sense? Which is why it's so important that you repeat yourself. Huh? Because he didn't hear you the first time. What did you say? So be sure that you repeat yourself. So another thing about women that's different from men is that we like to communicate details. Okay, we're all about the details. So, I mean, look around at the women in the room and notice all the details. Notice the details on your wife. Just look at her. Notice the details on your wife. She has earrings on and lipstick, and she's, maybe her toes are painted, and maybe she's wearing a scarf, and there's lots of details about her. We love details. We just do. I took my daughter. My oldest um, is almost 19, and there's a boy right now that she's kind of interested in. And so we went and had lunch last Sunday, and we spent two hours talking about the boy. And it was fun. It was fun. What color Two is hours. His, what color is his hair? I don't know, but she does. Oh. But there's all these details that we have to tell. And we think that you care about the details too. Mm. <laughs> and when you were dating, you made her believe so. Because <laughs> you put your best foot forward and you learned how to... Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she talked for two hours on the phone, and while you listened, and you fell asleep a few times and woke up. But she couldn't tell, and that was good. On the other hand, guys, we don't hold on to details. And part of this is because our brains are different, and they're wired different. Uh, men's brains are actually compartmentalized. There are actually two boxes in a man's brain. That's it, just two boxes, ladies. There's a right box and a left one. And the thing is, is like we talked about, those boxes don't touch. Well, those two parts don't touch either. Okay, one side is about is the emotional brain, and most of us guys ignore that. We think it's pretty much pointless. <laughs> then there's the other part of our brain, which is the intellect, the logic. That's the part of us that makes money, gets things done, focuses on tasks, and you know helps us to walk through life and, and make provision. So there's a there's a reason, but we don't hold on to details because we don't have the same kind of emotional brain that they do. So it's the emotions that create the memories that create the details that we hold on to. Okay? Now, women tend to think of us as we just don't care. Right? Well, it's true. We don't care. <laughs> but part of the reason we don't care is because we don't have the brain that makes it possible to care as naturally as you do. It takes more effort for us to care. It takes more energy for us to care. Now, it doesn't mean we don't love you. We're talking about, we're going to talk about how God helps us with this issue in a second. So men, we compartmentalize, we talk about the basics. We don't hold on to details. And let me just give you a quick scenario that might make sense. So, <clears throat> so uh, phone rings. I answer the phone, which is odd. It's like, like why am I answering the phone? Because I'm supposed to be in the nothing box. But I answer the phone. And it's somebody telling me that they had a baby, you know, such and such had a baby. I'm like, oh, that's oh, and I'm like, you know, you know, saints are playing. I'm like, oh, that's nice, a baby. And, and they're like, hello, are you there? I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 oh, single tasker, right? 
Oh, they had a baby. Great, great. Oh, okay. Oh, awesome, awesome. And then so I go back to watching the Saints game. Right? Why? Because man's brains get so focused on one thing, it's hard for us to go back to that box and then get back to this box because we're so stimulated we're there. And so later at dinner, my wife says to me, hey, why didn't you tell me Sally had a baby? I'm like, Sally, who is Sally? <laughs> She's like, she called you today. She said she had the baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She said, I got a text that Sally had the baby. Well, what did she, she say? I'm like, about what? <laughs> She's about the baby, of course. Oh, oh. And, of course, I'm trying to eat, right? I'm in the eating box. <laughs> like, oh, I can't eat and talk about the baby at the same time. So I go to the baby box. And like, I don't even, I'm discovered I don't even have a baby box. She's like, well, what, what, tell me about the baby. I said, well, they had a baby. So what was it? I don't know. How big was it? I don't know. 20 pounds. I don't really know. <laughs> So, and she gets furious. She's like, you don't care. And like, so then I lie. I say, yeah, of course I care about the baby. That she, who has had the baby? So, of course I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you get the point. Just a little tidbit for you. Women communicate 30,000 words a day. And men communicate 10. Because a 20,000 word deficit on your end. Girls have friends. Lots of friends. You need friends. Lots of friends. It's true. Okay, and so one other thing that we want to talk about how women are different from men is when it comes to sex. You've probably heard this analogy women are like crock pots. Have you all heard that analogy? You know, you plug it in and it warms up, which I think is a horrible <laughs> it's analogy. A bad analogy. I think it's a horrible analogy because what do you do with a crock pot? You put all the food in it, you plug it in, and you leave for the day. And it just has to take care of itself. It's a horrible analogy, okay? The only thing that's right about it is that it takes some time, okay? I like to think of us more like a roux. Think about this, okay? When you cook a really good roux, what do you have to do? You gotta stay. You gotta pay a lot of attention, okay? And so women are more like a roux when it comes to sex. She needs time and a lot of attention, okay? Um, and one other thing, you know, that we, we tend to make each other six years it was bad. One of the other things that we tend to make each other wrong for is that whole thing, especially around sex. One of the things that's unique about your marital relationship is that. I mean, we talk to friends, we do lots of things with other people in our lives, but this is the one area that's exclusive, that's supposed to be just for your mate. And so it's a really important area that we sometimes don't give a lot of importance to. Um, but our sexual life, it's an important area. And a lot of times we make each other wrong because women don't tend to lead with desire. Um, she's waiting for you with your testosterone, which is what drives you to awaken her up so that's where that attention comes in. So when you think about her, don't think about a crock pot. Scratch that off your list. Scratch crock pot and put roux. R-O-U-X. Roux. Okay? 
Y'all pray for me. <laughs> for the guys, too. All right, so while the ladies are like that, right, guys are more like light switches. And the analogy works. <laughs> I mean, all you really need to do is show up. I don't need any attention, praise. Just show up, don't have any clothes on, we're good. In fact, our stuff kind of looks like a light switch. And there's an on and an off, and that's about it. Right. We can say sex in this house, right, Pastor Bob? Yeah, right. All right, baby. I <laughs> Amen. You know, there is a setting called simmer, though. Yeah? All right, so guys, and I'll pick on the ladies a little bit here and go back to what we did when we were in the romantic stage that confused us guys, all right? Now, when we were in the romantic stage, and, and, and I'm going to speak just for myself, there's probably nobody in this room like me, when we first started, I'm going to tell you a little secret, when we first started dating, we weren't saved yet, right? Uh, what that means is... Uh, it means we did it all wrong. Well, we did it right, but too early. <laughs> Amen. Now I say that. So in that early stage, guys, uh, we, they lied to us. Because what, what women and men tend to do is we give up front what we know each other wants to get what we want. You see, early on, we're selfish creatures, still today selfish in nature. And we pretend to be something that we're really not. See, early on in our relationship... The sexual desire that I had was what was driving most of my interest. Okay? That's the way God has made men. I mean, if men don't have testosterone, I mean, they, they've done this for, if in the military, they do this uh, with insane asylum places, they'll, they'll, they'll inhibit a man from, from having testosterone so that he doesn't act out sexually. So our sexual desire, testosterone, is what drives our interest on a, prime, on a prime level to be interested in women, okay? Let me explain this before you get mad at me. You're already mad at me. It's, a, it's okay. I'm used to it. So early on in our relationship, this thing was going on between her and I where it, it seemed like she had a bunch of desire because she would, she would make herself available sexually without a whole lot of a time and attention, romance, and all those kind of things. I mean, you just show up. What it was, was on some level, women are, are doing that because they don't know how else to keep a guy around, right? They're, they're thinking, I got to do this to keep you. And that's the world's way of thinking, and it doesn't work. But we didn't know that yet. But what, testosterone, what testosterone is supposed to do is to motivate me to be nice to her. But early on, and culture teaches us, I don't have to be nice to you. And that's what porn does, by the way. 
Porn interrupts that whole system. It means I don't have to be nice to you. I can go do it over here and it just be all about me. And then we don't learn how to love. Remember, one of the purposes of marriage is to learn how to love. Well, one of those learnings is to learn how to be a lover as well. To be a lover. So that testosterone is a driving force that reminds me to warm her up. Because God commands us to love. You see, it's not natural. For the women, it is. And you get mad at us for it. God didn't command women to love their husbands, only to the men, right? He commanded the women to submit to the husband out of respect. He commands what we can't do. We expect each other to do things naturally in the other that I can do naturally and then get mad at each other for not being able to do it. And so the ladies will throw us under the bus because we're not naturally lovers to them. And then we'll throw them under the bus because they're not naturally leading with all this desire. It's my job to initiate intimacy with her and God makes that happen by providing within me testosterone so that I have that interest. And in reality, if I didn't, if man, if God hadn't put testosterone in men's bodies... We would never come back from hunting. <laughs> you heard it. Okay? Why? Because men would settle for being partially whole. And there would be something missing. We wouldn't know what it would be. So since God didn't make that, it's a hypothetical. We don't need to get all upset about it. God's provided testosterone in the body of men so that we initiate meaningful interaction. That we initiate, and then as she does it God's way, I'm not allowed to be with her in that way until there's a commitment. In the commitment, which is the third stage of our three stages of romance, in the moment that that relationship is consummated, our first encounter on that level is burned into men's and women's brains so deeply you never forget it. And our culture says, just toss that around and it won't hurt you. You don't even need to use the Bible to explain this. Your earliest and everyone in this room can remember, and I don't want you to stay there, but you can remember, and that's just, that's God's design. That's one reason that you can, you can say, even to the humanistic world, why that we should wait. And unfortunately, we didn't. And we've, that's part of the why we had to work our way out of. It took us six years to work out of the damage we had done to ourselves and to our brains and bodies because we didn't understand this. So, so much about just those stereotypes and how men and women are just different, just on a gender level. There's so many more differences, specific differences, which we're going to share tomorrow um, about each person because we're all created uniquely uh, different. But just as men and women, we're just different. And we spend a lot of time, I think, in our marriages and just in relationships, just making each other wrong for being male or female. And mostly it's just because we just didn't know. We just didn't know. I didn't know you couldn't multitask. 
I didn't know that you don't care about the details, you know? I didn't know that, well, I didn't know he was a light switch, that's obvious, but, so there's a lot of things that we just didn't know, and just knowing helps me to start to extend some grace, just to the other gender, not just my husband, my wife, but to just to the other gender, just to understand that we're just different, 